Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Our brother Ed Scott is going to bring us the scripture reading for the day. So, brother Ed, you go ahead. All right. Scripture today is from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. I will be reading from the old King James, the original King James Version. That was the only thing available when I was in Sunday school, and uh, I've never left it. It's my favorite translation. So, Exodus 3, 1 to 14, for those of you who would like to follow along. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of a fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Now we notice here that who was introduced as the angel of the Lord, is now identifying himself as the Lord himself. And he will uh, identify himself again at the bottom of this reading. So Moses said, Here am I. And he drew not nigh hither, draw not nigh hither, but off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of the Father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He further identifies himself. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good land, a large and large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, 
and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also even the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto him, unto God, Who am I, that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee, when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And here is his last description of himself. Say unto them, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent thee. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Very good. Well, welcome again. We invite you to take your uh, Bibles and open them to Exodus chapter number 3. Exodus chapter number 3. And we're going to look this morning at the call of Moses. And you know, I think to myself, when I think of accounts like this, that the best ability that one could have when it comes to serving God perhaps is availability. It's not what I can do, it's what I'm willing to do for God. And uh, we'd like to look just for a few thoughts this morning into this section um, and see how God reveals something of himself in the call of Moses as well as some practical applications. Uh, but first, this, we, you know, when I we remember hearing stories, of, uh, accounts from the scripture growing up, uh, I heard of David and Goliath, I heard of Daniel and the lion's den, I heard of Jonah and the whale, but I really never understood where they fit chronologically into history. And so what I would like to do to start with is to give you a little quiz. Now here's what the quiz is going to be about. I'm going to give you two names, and you tell me which person came first chronologically, historically, just to see how sharp you are. We'll start easy. Moses or Methuselah, who was first? Tyler, you can't participate because you heard these earlier. Who? Methuselah, right? He was back in uh, Genesis and the accounts uh, uh, back then, but Moses was further in the history of the, of, the, of the world. Joseph or Joshua? Joseph, right? Joshua was uh, further down. Joseph was only two generations from Abraham, right? Lot or Laban? Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew, 
but Laban was Jacob's father-in-law further down. Now this is only for the Bible scholars amongst you. Daniel or Dag the Edomite? Very good. Dag the Edomite. What era was he in? David, King David, right? He was the rascal that ratted out David to Saul and, um, and the priest of Abimelech, whereas Daniel was all the way when they were exiled historically. So let's see where this fits in. We remember that in Genesis, after uh, God created heaven and earth, there was a sin that came in and was recorded in Scripture. And God promised in Genesis chapter 3 that he was going to restore um, or, or send a deliverer to restore that relationship. And then we read further in the book of Genesis of uh, who he's going to bring the promised redeemer through. In the book of Genesis chapter 12, he calls a man by the name of Abram. And he said to Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 12, 3. So now we're down to historically where Abraham uh, eventually changed his name to Abraham. Abraham, and Abraham had uh, two sons, but the son of this promise was Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau, and the Messiah was going to come through Jacob, who was later, later named, what was he later named? Israel, right? Israel. And uh, Jacob had a, a very large family, and he had one son, the second from the youngest, uh, that got sold into slavery. What was his name? Joseph, and Joseph was the one who went down to Egypt, uh, not voluntarily, but God raised him up to a position where he could preserve uh, Abraham's family or Jacob's family at this, at this point um, because famine was in the land. And if you recall in that account in Genesis, Jacob took his sons down to Egypt where uh, his son Joseph was number two on the list of rulers or power there in Egypt. And um, over the next 400 years, the children of Israel remained in the land of Egypt. It's an interesting thing. If you know the history of Joseph, Joseph brought uh, uh, great wealth into the land of Egypt because not only was he able to provide food and grain for the Egyptians who ended up selling all, their, all that they had to Pharaoh, right? To get to, they, why are we going to starve? We're turning over our, our lands, everything to you. You own it all. Just let us live but people from other lands came in, including his family from the land uh, of Canaan. They came down. So uh, a great man in the history of Egypt. But in Exodus chapter, if you back up just a page from where you were in Exodus 3, in Exodus chapter 1, it says, starting in verse 8, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now you have to wonder about that. How would the man not have known Joseph? I would think that every leader would have brought something up of who these people were, these Israelites that dwelt in the land. They were getting quite numerous. But I'm sure early on, if anyone asked, they would say, oh, those are the family of Joseph. You remember the great Joseph. We read of him historically. He's the one that kept our nation from starving during the famine. But it did say, Scripture records that there arose a new king who knew not Joseph. And this king said, he looked, said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply 
and it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Sarah supply cities, Python and Ramses. And the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And, when, and they were in dread of the children of, of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. So here they are enslaved, and the uh, Egyptians are making it harder and harder on them to be there. So they cry out to God for deliverance. And here we read in, uh, what God does about it. He has prepared someone by the name of Moses. So we're in chapter 3 now, and verses starting there at the beginning of the chapter, and we're going to see, if I turn my little thingy back on here, the call of Moses. Um, Ed already read the, the scriptures, so we're not going to read them each, but we want to try to see what we can glean from here, what God is still doing today as far as calling uh, people. Uh, to himself, to use, use, him, uh, use them. The first we see in the first uh, two verses, or ver verses two and three, is that the calling was a miraculous calling. Angel of the Lord, it says in verse two, appeared to him, speaking of Moses, in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, in the bush, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why does the bush not burn? First note God's choice of appearance. He appeared to Moses in a flame of fire. And throughout scripture, you will see that the fire often represents God's radiant glory as an aspect of his holiness. So here Moses sees, and Moses, did when he observed it, noticed his reaction. He turned to it. He said, I need to turn aside to see what this is. God's calling began with something miraculous to get Moses' attention. Now, don't always expect that something miraculous is going to happen when God has something for you. Um, look, do look around. Observe what God's bringing to you. Don't, uh, you don't have to wait to get conked on the head by two by four by the Lord to say, this is what I, I've called you to do, something that I have appointed for you personally to do. We see in the next verse, in verse 4, that the calling was a personal calling. From the uh, bush, we see, and the Lord said, he saw that once the Lord saw that Moses turned aside in verse 4 to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. He spoke directly to Moses. Calling is, is a personal thing. Uh, when God's calling you to do something, I know this, that God knows us well. He knows the very hairs of our head. In verse Matthew chapter 10, verse 30, it says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He knows more about us than we know of ourselves. We read uh, later in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1 and verse 5, as he's getting Jeremiah prepared for his prophetic ministry, he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, 
I sanctified uh, you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. God knows us very well when he puts a calling on our life. He makes no mistakes when he calls us to service. And when God does put some calling on your life, rest assured you are the one he wants. Otherwise, he would have called someone else. Romans 11, verse 29 says, For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance or irrevocable. He chose you. He chose you for a specific reason, not because he couldn't find somebody else to do it. You were the one for that particular job. Then we see in the next few verses that it is a holy calling in verses 5 and 6. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. When God calls, keep in mind that God is holy. Notice what God said. It wasn't a conversation that was casual. He gave some specific directions and instructions to Moses. First, he said, don't draw near to this place. Then he said, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. What's about, if you're in the presence of a holy God and you're about to be told something that I'm going to do through you, but let's get think one thing straight at the beginning. And notice Moses' reaction to it. When God introduced himself and said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, Abraham, it says, it hit his face. You're not supposed to look at God. Where did he learn that? You know, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's courts. He was raised in a, in a polytheistic society. But you remember when he was first born, and I won't go back and review that part of the narrative, but Pharaoh's daughter who drew him out of the water, that's how he got that name Moses, she is looking for someone to nurse him and spotted this young lady who said, you want me to go fetch someone? And, and anyways, basically his mother, his mother raised him for a time before he could be taken to the courts of Pharaoh. And it's likely there from his Hebrew mother that he learned of the God of the Hebrews, the God of the Bible. And so his reaction said he hid his face for he was afraid to look on God. He noticed, or he knew that it was something uh, to be uh, reverenced when God appeared to him for this calling, and he didn't take lightly the holy calling. I guess for us, maybe an illustration would be if the president of the United States contacted you and said, I have something for you, and he brought you, had you brought up to the White House a special assignment. Even though you might not agree with who sits in the White House as an American, you would at least have reverence for the position, the commander-in-chief in the top position, and you've been called to it. I remember hearing an illustration for um, we, the administration has a annually a, what they call a leadership or summer institute. And there was a speaker of a number of years ago named Stu Greenberg. Stu Greenberg told the story that he got, wanted to go into administration. He's from Florida. He got an um, assistant principal job. And the first day that he reported, his principal said, um, there's a phone call for you and uh, you need to take it. The Department of Ed Chancellor had evidently plucked this man to come serve on a particular part of his cabinet. So he said he, he never got a chance to serve as an AP, but he got called by the top position in Florida, uh, the DOE's uh, uh, chancellor, to serve up in Tallahassee. I've since, since then seen that he's been at various places, but 
what, what an honor to, to be called and serve. And so we think of that as when God calls us, what an honor. The God of the universe is telling us, little me, little you, something that he has to be done. And God knows when there's a need. We see the next few verses that it was a knows the need type of calling. In verses 7 through 9, we read this. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. So God's, God sees the need and God knows the need. God's timing is perfect. Now, I want you to think back into chapter 2. Moses, Moses tried to deliver the people of Israel, didn't he? He came out one day from the court to look around and see what's going on, and he saw the taskmasters and his people, the uh, Hebrews. And he saw an Egyptian beating this, uh, this uh, Hebrew, and he decided to spring into action. He looked left. He looked right. He made sure no one was looking, and he slew that man. He killed that Egyptian and buried him, tried to cover it up. Well, one down, about a million to go, right? He's going to deliver them out of there. But his timing was all wrong. His method was all wrong. He wasn't seeing it as God sees it. Later on, we realized this was part of how, what, what drove him out into the wilderness when he realized, I've been found out. I've been found out, and it won't be long before Pharaoh comes looking for me. So uh, God's timing is perfect, not Moses' timing. God is omniscient. He sees the big picture. He heard the call for help. It's not that God was unaware before of what was going on, but they cry, and the Scripture tells us that God heard, and this is when he called Moses. You know, there may be some calling today that God's listening to and God is preparing to answer. Maybe he's preparing to send somebody here. I think of the account of the Aka Indians in Ecuador and Jim Elliott and that group that heard the call of God to go to a people that had never heard. But God knew that they were ready to hear. And eventually we know the story that even though they slew those men, they came to know the God of the Bible. The next is that it is, oh, I left the verses out there. God already has a plan in place. In verse number 10, he says to Moses, Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You know, up to this point, Moses was probably in full agreement. If you look at verses 7 through 9 and listen to what God's saying, um, he sees the taskmaster, he knows the sorrows, so I've come down. I'm here to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. I'm going to take them here, I'm going to put them over here. Here they're being slaves, here they'll have a land flowing with milk and honey. And Moses was probably just thinking, yes, yes, finally, those rotten Egyptians are going to get what they deserve, and God's going to take his children and bring them into a land where we could be at peace. And, and God says, I'm going to use you. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. 
Now, Moses, I don't think he was pretty, up until that point, he was probably in full agreement. Uh, this, is a, this was a test of faith, trusting the great plan maker. And if you look back into scripture, you can see, now he didn't have this advantage, but we could, we can go back and see. Look at the account of Joseph, right? Joseph had a dream that God revealed that at one time his brothers, yea, his mother and father, would pay respect to him because he was going to be lifted up. But it didn't come in the way Joseph might have thought. In God's plan, Joseph ended up being sold into slavery, accused falsely, put into prison, and eventually, because of his interpretation of dreams by God's, God's interpretation through him, raised him up, the plan that was already in place. Think of King David. David was anointed at a younger age to be the king of Israel. But the problem with that, there was a reigning monarch. Saul was the king. And David patiently waited. He wouldn't raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. He waited for God's timing, the plan that was in place. He may not have known how, but he knew that God was going to see to it and what faith that would have taken. Um, he had to wait for Saul's death. Another Saul we read of later in the New Testament, Saul of Tarsus. What a change there. God had a plan for Paul to go and to, to bear his name uh, to the nations, but he had to do it through God's plan after his conversion there on the Damascus Road. And if you, when, I can remember listening as um, uh, uh, growing up in South Florida, they had a monthly missionary meeting and an annual missionary conference, but listening to the stories and reading some as well of those who have been called to serve, and they would tell stories where you can see God's hand, where one door after another opened up where there was none, and it was only only could be uh, explained by God working behind the scenes in a plan that they knew not of, but that God had already worked out. Then we see there in verse number 11 that Moses doubted. Moses doubted. It said in verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Remember that Moses spent time in Pharaoh's courts. Mer Moses, now not the Moses that he spent time with, this is 40 years later, at least 40 years later, but Moses would have known the, the, the position of that person there, the, the, the ruler. And at this point, we, say, we, men we mentioned earlier that Egypt, powerful, wealthy nation, due to mainly the, what Joseph had done for, for them. And now Moses is being asked by God, or told by God, I want you to go stand before Pharaoh. And Moses was supposed to go in and say, let my people go. And he was scared. He doubted. He doubted, why would you want to send me to go and do that? And there, he wasn't immediately obedient to the call. The conversation goes on, and we won't get into all of it. We could think back where God had told Abraham, that he said, I want you to go and sacrifice your son, your only son, Isaac. And he told him where he was supposed to go. And one of the things I've never forgot about that account is it says of Abraham after he was told that he rose early the next morning. Now, he immediately got to what it was that God had called him to do in obedience. And here we see Moses a little bit hesitant. It wasn't an immediate obedience, but we do also see that he realized that it was not in him to do this task. 
And we sometimes think about this when we feel that there's, we know that God's calling us to do something. We may recognize, hope we recognize, it's not me. Remember, we talked started about the beginning of this talking about what abilities would you need. Well, the, one of the primary ones is availability. Are you willing to let God use you? Maybe you say, well, I don't have this ability, or I don't have this talent, or this particular gift. I've never been strong in that area. And we kind of get like Moses and start to doubt what God's telling us that we are to do. Don't doubt. And then uh, God's lists of prospective persons came down to one choice. That was you. There's no task too great, too small that we cannot do. And that could be sharing the gospel with a crowd, or it could be uh, holding the door open at the local meeting place. Whatever it might be, follow what God has called us to do. In verse number 12 in there, we see that God assures um, Moses. He says, I will be with you. You know, when God explained to Moses what he was going to do, then said, come, I'm going to send you. And Moses began to make excuses. I know as a father, there are times when I say this is what needs to be done, and the children begin to make excuses, and they'll tell you this. I'm not very patient with that, but that, that's, uh, Dad said it, let's get it done, you know, whatever it might be. And God could have thundered from heaven, what? How dare you question me? But he didn't. Sometimes, even when we doubt, God shows that he is faithful. God is patient. And God was patient with Moses. Um, he assured him, it says there in verse 12, so he said, I will certainly be with you. I will certainly be with you. And it's interesting that here he promises them a certain sign. Here's how you're going to know. You're going to come back to this very spot with the children of, of, of Israel and worship me. Now, there were lots of signs that were about to come that would have assured Moses that God was behind all of this with the plagues that he gave to Egypt and the way that he delivered mightily the children of Israel. But one that God pointed out at this point, he said, um, here's the sign to you that I've sent. You'll know that I've sent you when, you've brought you, you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this very mountain. God is a patient God. We think of God's promise to be with Moses. I will certainly be with you. And we think of the account of uh, when the children of Israel were taken into Babylon and there was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they did not want to defile themselves by eating the king's meat. And God showed himself uh, with them as they uh, still, even though they ate vegetables and drank water, that's a recommended diet today, but evidently for them, they got healthier and uh, looked better than the rest that were eating the, the, uh, the king's meat. God showed himself faithful with Noah after 120 years of building an ark and preaching, delivered him and his family. And God tells us that he is with each of us. We remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It says, lo, I am with you always. We don't have to question God in these matters. The last is the point there is in verse number uh, 13 and 14. Moses brings up the point. He says, now, <clears throat> God, uh, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. 
So right now he's not even worried about Pharaoh. He's worried about convincing his own people who he fled from. He left, left you know, 40 years earlier when he left Egypt. He said, when, when, and they say to me, well, what is his name? Who, who is this God you're talking about? He says, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. When we are called, we go in the name of the Lord. It's a powerful name. I think about that story, the account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you're probably familiar with this and maybe know where I'm going with this. But when the soldiers were sent to arrest Jesus, Jesus, it said, asked, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. There they stood with their clubs, their torches. They were, you know, maybe a spear or a shield. They're ready to go. We're, we came to get this guy. And when, when, when they asked or told him who they're looking for, Jesus said two words, I am. And it says they fell to the ground. They fell to the ground. The power of God that, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, that's a, Jesus' name is powerful. If you don't believe me, use his name in conversation in public. You can say God, you can even say Lord, but say Jesus, it bristles people that aren't followers. It makes some that follow him look around like, are you, you're going to blow our cover here. <laughs> people are going to know we follow Jesus. Shush about that. But it is a powerful name. And I do find when that name is put out there that, that it, their reaction uh, is telling. Try it sometime. So, We'll just conclude with this. Uh, when it comes to being called of the Lord, you may have heard this, but when your ship comes in, don't be at the airport, okay? You make sure that you're spending time, you read God's word, meditate, pray, speak with him, and listen for God's call. And when he calls, go. Our life is too short not to. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the, the things that we can see in your word that would tell us more of you, you and your character. We realize, Father, that you reveal to us what you will. And we as finite beings can only take in what you reveal. But help us, Father, not to be doubting. Help us to uh, be assured by those things that we read in your word and those things that we see in our own lives of your hand. Father, help us to be sensitive to the spirit of God as he leads and directs our paths. We don't have a picture like you do. You're an omniscient God. You're outside of time and you see what we cannot see. And so, Father, as we go about day to day, we do our best uh, to, 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 to live in this world, uh, to occupy, it says, until your son returns. But, Father, as we're doing this, we pray that you will help us to, be, uh, to see things as you see and to uh, set our affection on things that are above, not so much the things that are here that crowd our daily lives. Keep us, Father, sensitive to your spirit. Keep us looking for that which... Uh, you would have to do and help us, Father, not to forget that the Lord Jesus is coming back. And we look forward to it, Father. We want to be uh, serving busily uh, the Lord Jesus as we await his return. Give us safety as we part now to our homes, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.